Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and we're beginning a brand new week. So enjoyed getting to see our people, even if I could only see you through the tented windows. So enjoyed getting to see our people at three drive-in services this week. Now, many of you are already trying to register for the drive-in services next week. We're not doing any of that yet until we see what the government is going to announce, hopefully today. Uh, hopefully, they will announce that we're going to go into modified general, and we'll be able to have church services at 50% capacity, as been announced before. If that is all announced today, then we'll start actively working to getting everybody back in services next weekend. However, you may register for the Saturday drive-in service because this is something we're going to be doing for a while now. Okay, this is this is the drive-in service for our seniors, people that have been with us a long time. You know, these are the people that built everything that we walk around and enjoy today. So we're not going to leave them behind. I'll keep doing the drive-in service. This service is also for people who have medical conditions and their doctors don't want them out among the general public yet. So please, we will have the drive-in services. You say, Pastor, what happens if it rains? Well, number one, there's a little bit of a shelter over my head in the go truck. But number two, I'm not sugar and I promise you I will not melt. Okay, uh, it's not going to bother us at all. We just want to make sure that you're taken care of. And what's been so encouraging to me is that to hear the stories of the people that, you know, Pastor, watching from home is fine. But even if we're in our cars, and I heard this so many times this last weekend, even if we're in our cars, it's something different about us gathering together. There's, there's a different presence. And yes, there is. There is the concept of the gathering. But we'll get into that on another day. Father, we stand before you grateful in our hearts, grateful for all that you have done for us, grateful for how your hand has been upon our lives all during this lockdown, and grateful that this thing is about to be over. Father, we stand before you today and we give thanks. We give thanks from a heart that is full, full because you have blessed us, full because you have watched over our families, full because you have blessed the work of our hands. Full because you have been good to us, Father. Lord, even among us, those that weren't living right before, they've seen your goodness in this time. And we've seen a tremendous harvest of souls as whole households have come to you. We thank you for the over 11,000 people now born again, just with technology, Lord. Oh, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has not been locked down. We are, our hearts are full, Lord. Our hearts are full. We are so grateful for all that you have done for us. Now, Father, I lift you again, the frontliners. Things may become winding down for some of us, but for them, every day it's the same thing. Let your hand of grace not just be upon protecting them physically, but Father, they're seeing things that at their young ages, they it's hard to see. Restore their souls, Father. Heal their souls. For that pastor, Lord, that goes in for prostate surgery today, Father, let your hand be upon him. Let this thing just be quick and easy. Let that thing just be scooped out of there because it's already been separated off by the Holy Ghost. No inroads, no metastasizing, nothing, Father. Just, just scooped out of there <laughs> because you caused it to die at his roots. I thank you for it, Father. And let your strength flow back into his body. And Lord, raise him up to do even greater things in the days ahead. Father, we lift you all of our seniors today. 
We thank you for your gracious hand that will continue to be upon them, that the angels that will guard them in their way, that your promises, Lord, that no sickness, no pestilence shall come near their household. Oh, Father, they live in a place of refuge because of your promises, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for those that are still going back to work. Provide transportation today, Lord. It's been so difficult. We're wonderful. Glad to hear, Father, about the testimonies of new cars coming in. And we pray for even more cars, Father, that they will no longer be dependent upon public. But, Father, they'll have their independence in transportation. And good deals, Father, 50% off on cars. Oh, we thank you for it, Father. We're praying for 50% off deals, Lord. We thank you for it. Now, Father, today, we open our hearts in praise. Let us also open our hearts to learn from you. Teach us from your word today. Let your word burn within us today as you teach us and guide us. Teach us your ways that we can walk in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
You've heard me talk about this several times over the last months, how many months now of lockdown, that vows made in times of trouble must be fulfilled. David said, in my time of trouble, I vowed to you, and now I come and fulfill it. Some of you made vows to God, and God has fulfilled what he, you ask him to do. Now it's time for you to fulfill your vows. Now, most of the vows that we make in life, and vow is just a big fancy word to say relationship promise. Just like you promise somebody, I'll meet you at Moa at four o'clock. There are promises that you made to God and promises that God made to you in this relationship. Now, when you've made promises to God, all right, Lord, I'll be in church every Sunday when this is over. I'm just asking that you do this for my family. So now you need to be in church. Some of you made commitments and vows to God about ministry. Some of you made vows to God about being a connect group leader. You, you said, God, I'll, I'll take up the level of leadership now and I'll do my responsibility. Some of you made vows to join the choir. Some of you made vows to go visit your mother and father every week because you've been apart from them for months now. And you said, God, I just, I'll, I'll visit mom and dad every week. Then you need to keep those vows. Some of you made vows begin to spend more time with your children in the future because you didn't before lockdown. And you realize what wonderful children that you have. And young people, you realize what wonderful parents that you have. No, nobody's perfect. But you saw some beautiful things. Your hearts have opened to each other. So let's, let's take these vows just beyond service for God and things. And let's recognize we made a lot of commitments to God during this time about family, about friendship about our children. Let's keep those vows now. Amen? Some of you, God has called you to the ministry. The harvest is so plentiful. I mean, my goodness, the harvest. Everybody says, oh, we're going to come out of this and have a great revival. No, we won't. Not unless people pick up the call to the ministry. So some of you, you need to come see me and say, Pastor, there's a call on my life. Talk to your district pastor. Talk to your campus pastor. Talk to me. And we need to get you started in your training to follow the call. Some of you pastors listening to me in the province, you, you left the ministry. It was just too hard. You didn't see a way to survive. Forgive me. You were poorly trained. Okay? Forgive me. You were poorly trained. Because God doesn't fail us. There is no shortage of unsaved people in Manila and the Philippines to grow a church with. Okay, there's no shortage of sinners. There's no reason to fail in the ministry. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. So when we fail, we humbly accept the responsibility for our failure. And we come and say, Lord, I just need to learn some more. I learned what doesn't work, now I need to learn what does work. Maybe you can come see us, and maybe we'll help you with your training. Let's see what we can do. We need thousands and thousands of more churches across our land. Not of pastors that are dependent on one or two rich people, but pastors that are dependent upon God and will lead their congregations in paths of righteousness. Young men, young women, rise up in Jesus' name. All right, we've got a great testimony for you this morning. Hi, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Rudy Ragsag of South Campus, involved in the Assering Ministry and a Connect Group Leader, and this is my wife. I am Sister Vicky Ragsag, also from South Campus, involved in the Assuring Ministry. I really thank and praise God um, because in February, 
before the pandemic and the lockdown, I was able to prepare and submit all the documents necessary uh, for me to receive my retirement benefits. And thank God, um, we have the financial blessings. Um, even uh, lang kami sa bahay, even or... if we are just two seniors in the house, in our home, and without and our children, we are able to move about because of the good health that God has given us. Thank you, Lord. And besides that, we have another new blessings comes from the Lord. We can able to buy a new car with a big discount. Kaya salamat, Lord. At sabi nga sa Psalm 37.25, I have been young and now I am old. Yet, Yet I have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Salamat, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Long time family of the church. And yes, that is the parents of one of our pastors. We're so proud of him and all he's doing in Batangas, James and Bettina. Well, as we move forward in Acts, Jesus said, you'll preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Well, we've finished with Samaria now. Now we're going to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that begins in chapter 9 with the salvation of Saul of Tarsus. Chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul still breathed threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. Now, notice the word still. Now, remember, we saw the other day he has driven every Christian out of Jerusalem with the exception of the 12 apostles, okay? Everybody has been driven out. And when they drove them out, it did not destroy the work of God, it scattered the work of God. And now we see the great Samaritan revival taking place. There's nothing that makes haters angrier than your success. Now, let me give you a couple of truths about hatred here. When you are successful, haters hate you more. It must have infuriated Paul that this thing, he'd eradicated it from Jerusalem with the exception of the 12 apostles. And it just spreads. And the Samaritan revival takes place. And he is furious, still breathing out threats of murders. The other thing I want you to notice, hatred not only is enraged or expands exponentially when it sees your success. Hatred is never satisfied by, success, by, by their own success. Hatred is enraged by your success, but hatred is never satisfied by its perceived successes. We drove everybody out of Jerusalem. People, you have to understand, hatred is never satisfied. Proverbs 27, verse 20, New Living Translation says that death and destruction are never satisfied. Death and destruction is never satisfied. Death and destruction. Sheol and Abaddon. Abaddon is one of the names of Satan, the destroyer. Death and destruction are never satisfied. So the more people try to destroy your name, the more people do to destroy you, they're never satisfied. So one of the things you have to learn in life is that when it comes to the haters, your success infuriates them, and no matter what they do to you, they'll never be satisfied. We see this in Paul's life against the early church. But Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. He said, I'm going to stop all this, you know, <laughs> so that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, 
That's a beautiful truth to me. Before we were ever called Christians, we were called the way. Now, why were we called the way? Because Jesus provided the access to the Father. Jesus, his body was the curtain that was torn in two. He is the one, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We were known as people of the way. You, did, you didn't have to go through the high priest anymore. Now you can come directly to the Father through Jesus. So they were known as people of the way. Jesus is the way. Okay, so that was a beautiful name that early Christians were called. We were called people of the way. That he found any, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, had these people ever hurt anybody or fought with anybody? No, but he still wanted them bound. See, hatred is always afraid. That's one of the things you got to get a hold of. Hatred is always afraid of you. People who hate you fear you. So he, he binds these men and women who never hurt anybody. The only thing they were guilty of was loving Jesus. Hatred fears you. Now, as they went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven, not, not, the, not the sun. This is a light brighter than the sun. So in the middle of the day, in the middle of the day, there was a light that shined brighter than the sun coming from heaven, flashed around him, and falling to the ground. Forgive me, he got knocked off his horse on his butt. Okay, I mean, he just, boom. He got knocked off his horse or donkey onto his butt. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, forgive me, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine the heart of Paul in that instant? He has sat there on his seat in the Sanhedrin while Jesus is tried. He gave his approval of the death of the Savior. He sat there in the Sanhedrin during the approval and gave his approval for the death of Stephen. He stood there as the official witness of the Sanhedrin as Stephen was stoned to death and said, I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, standing at the right hand of the Father. And he's been killing people and imprisoning people. And all of a sudden, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in an instant he knows how wrong he has been. Now, forgive me, but hatred can turn to repentance in a heartbeat, in an open, in an open heart. Now, Saul, for all his failings, was not a man of a stubborn heart, a violent heart, an angry heart, but not a stubborn heart, not a rebellious heart. And the instant he finds out how wrong he has been, everything changes. Now, brothers and sisters, that's salvation. As long as a heart is not rebellious, it can be angry, it can be full of violence, it can be full of everything. But as long as a heart is not stubborn and rebellious, confronted with truth, it will change. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But now the next word, but. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And notice, 
there is no retaliation in Jesus's heart. Now, you, you got to just wrap your brain around this. There's no retaliation. There's no condemnation in Jesus's heart. He doesn't say, I'm going to kick your butt now. Okay, I mean, have you ever had somebody who just hated you and said all kinds of things about you, and you thought, you know, I'd just like to poke him in the nose one time? Well, that's us. That's not Jesus. <laughs> He's so much better than us. Oh, my goodness. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. He said, I'm not going to tell, talk to you anymore about your past. What do you do with that? What do you do with a Jesus like this? I mean, he said, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore about the past. He said, rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He doesn't go through a lineage of every person Paul has heard. The past is done now. The past is over now. This is forgiveness. I mean, what do you do with a Jesus like this? I mean, you know, what do you do with a savior that you have done everything to destroy and he just looks at you one day and forgives you and says, now let's talk about the future. Ah! Folks, Jesus is more wonderful than you and I could ever imagine. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I call these three days of change. Paul needed some time alone. Okay? Sometimes when you have been confronted with all of your wrongness, and you've been confronted with all of his mercy, you just need a few days to absorb it. So when this, this blindness is here, I, I don't see this blindness as the judgment of God coming upon Paul. I see this blindness as God giving him a three-day lockdown. Okay? A three-day quarantine, to use our modern terms today, a three-day self-isolation. And there he fasted and prayed. He couldn't read. I mean, this one man was a student, so Jesus even made sure he couldn't read. He, he couldn't read any of the parchments and any of the material he had brought with him because he was a Jewish scholar. He was just left alone, could not see, all alone in a room, fasted and prayed. It's just him and Jesus time. Those must have been the three most incredible days of his life. Now, we know some of the things that happened in that time. We know he fasted, but now let's continue to see some other things. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Most people believe he was the pastor there. And by the way, he's also a relative of the high priest in Jerusalem. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Okay, so we know he's fasting. We know he's praying. And he has seen a vision. Okay, so we also know Jesus had given him a vision. He's fasting, he's praying, and he's having a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard much from many about this man. I mean, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. 
the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now notice, he said, Ananias, don't treat this man according to his past. Treat this man according to his future. Oh, I like that. Don't treat this man according to his past. Treat this man according to his destiny. Oh, you need to just, you need to just meditate on that one all day long. That's what forgiveness is. That's what salvation is. There's no, that's what it means that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a new creature in Christ. All the old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. That's what it means. He said, Ananias, don't treat him according to his past and everything you've heard. Let's talk about his future. Go treat him according to his destiny. Ah, man, that's amazing. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now notice, Ananias obeys Jesus. He calls him brother. See, people don't become our brother because they've attended a seminar. They become our brother because they've been born again into the family of God. Instant transformation. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you, have, by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight, number two, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now notice, he's filled with the Spirit, he gets his eyesight back, he's water baptized, but now... He's still very weak. He's been fasting for three days. He takes food and he's strengthened. Never forget that there are some physical, natural things that had to happen in our spiritual experiences also. You know, Paul didn't fast for 40 days here. Three days of fasting. But now he needs food to regain his strength. Now, brothers and sisters, there are some incredible truths in that passage. I pray that you write them down. And I pray that you remember them, not only in how God treats you, but how we treat others. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some more time in worship. Fell on me. I thought I 
Oh, let me remind all of our businessmen something I announced yesterday. You saw there's only one supplier for these um, communion packages in Manila. Now, if any of our business guys want to start a business, COP will purchase 15 to 20,000 of those things every month. Now, show us your packaging ideas and maybe we'll even help work with you on that. But let's get some more suppliers because there's so many churches that are going to need these. This is part of the new normal. All right. So. And something that looks nice, all right? You know, come up with some cute ideas that looks nice. Now, there's one good thing that thing has going for it. It's really easy to drink because it's kind of falling handle afterwards, all right? So there are some good ideas in there, but there's some maybe some better ideas that can be had. Now, some of you wonder why I jump once in a while. That's the uh, bug zapper going off in the apartment. <laughs> it seems that we had a lot of mosquitoes in here last night. So if I jump once in a while, that's the bug zapper. Welcome to Live Devotions. Second Kings today, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Then Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand. Now notice, tie up your garments. In other words, I want you to run. You know, this is not a time for walking. I want you to run. Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. Now, notice, these are very specific commands. Flee. Do not linger. Run. Verse 4. The young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the God of Israel. Now, just park the bus there for a minute. Thus says the God of Israel. Now, at this time, remember, Israel doesn't refer to what you and I think of as Israel. Israel refers to the ten tribes. Judah is Judah and Benjamin. Notice, thus says the God of Israel, even though for how many generations the ten tribes had worshipped the golden calves, they'd worshipped the Asherah, they'd built different temples, they'd set up different worship systems, they had their own self-called priesthood. Even though they'd done all of that, that didn't stop him from being their God. Now, now, there's a principle that you have to get a hold of. God does not stop being God because of rejection. Did you hear what I said? God does not stop being sovereign God because of rejection. He's still God. Now, whether you want to obey him or not, that's your choice, but he is still God. And after all of the idolatry and after all of the sin, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Ashtoreth is not the God of Israel. Baal is not the God of Israel. These golden calves are not the God of Israel. I am the God of Israel. I mean, please, 
get a hold of this truth. God does not stop being God because he's rejected. See, God's not a myth. God's a reality. He said, I anoint you king over the people of, of the Lord, over Israel. So he said, listen, I'm the guy who rises up and sets down kings. And I choose to do this. The golden calf doesn't do this. The Asherah doesn't do this. Baal doesn't do this. He said, I anoint you. I, the Lord of Israel, anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets. Now notice, when, when this, this lady, the wife of the king, killed all of these prophets, God said, I will avenge the blood of my prophets. you got to be careful about fighting with God. And the blood of all the servants of the Lord. He said, all the people who served me, all the prophets that this woman went after to destroy, he said, I will avenge them. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. Now notice the whole house. We're going we're gonna to see that concept later. What is defined by the whole house? So circle that now and hold on for it for later. And I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. Now, this is a second reminder of a prophecy that he had made earlier that we read together. Verse 11. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Now notice, the master is the king. Jehu's the commander of the army. So he has to be a little careful about what he says. Well, so, so we could read it this way. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, the king, they said, is all well. What did this mad fellow come to you? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, oh, you know, the fellow in his talk. He's being careful because these are also servants of the king, King Ahab. And they said, that's not true. Tell us now. And he said, thus, and so he, he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Instantly, the entire military is with Jehu. Verse 14. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, with all Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of his wounds that the Syrians had given to him when he fought with Hazael, king of Assyria. So Jehu said, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel. For Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Now notice, in order for this to work, he needed total secrecy. So he told the commanders, you locked down this city. You blew the horn and pronounced me king. Okay, you locked down this city so that nobody can get out and tell anybody anything. Now Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Now you're going to see this is a problem in a few minutes. Now the watchmen were standing on the tower of Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and he said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and say, Is it peace? So the man on the horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. 
And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, but he's not coming back. Then he sent a second horseman who came to him and said, Thus the king has said, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. And again, the watchman reported, He reached them, and he is not coming back. And his driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. <laughs> he drives furiously. Now, I have been accused of driving furiously. Joram said, make ready, and they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out, each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth. You remember Naboth? The Jezreelite. Now, that's important because that's the, that's the field that was stolen. When, Jehu, when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah! And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders, shot him in his back, so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bekdar his aide, Take him and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side with Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now, therefore, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. Now, everything that God says comes to pass. When Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled in the direction of Beth Hagan, and Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also. And they shot him in the chariot at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ablam. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. His servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb of his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, began to reign over Judah. Now, just back up the bus. Ahaziah should have never been there. Sometimes your friendships get you killed. Now, you're going to see that several times in this passage. Sometimes your friendships get you in trouble. When you know that somebody is not living right, and you know that the hand of God is going to be against them, you know what? You better separate yourself off, or you're going to get caught up in the middle of it. If Ahaziah had been in Jerusalem doing what he should have been doing, leading his own people and not down vacationing with a man who had turned against God, not staying in a, in a, a castle, a king's palace, with Jezreel, with her sorceries and her whorings with the idols and her Asherah worship. If he had been back in Jerusalem in the temple and in his own palace doing what he should have been doing, he wouldn't have died that day. You see, sometimes people die because they're just hanging out with the wrong people. I sat down with a family many, many, many years ago in another nation. I was preaching a conference there, and they came up to me and they said, we don't understand why our sons died. Well, later on, I talked to the oldest boy who still lived, the two younger sons had died. And I talked to the oldest son. I said, how did your brothers die? And he said, truth, pastor? I said, yeah. He said, well, he was with some other guys, and they were drinking, and this guy that was driving was drinking way too much, and they were in the car, and they were in the back seat, 
car got out of control and they died. I said, in other words, they died a needless, foolish death. If they'd not been hanging out with drunken friends, they wouldn't have died. Yes, Pastor. I said, have you told your parents this? No, Pastor. Why? I don't want to hurt them more. I said, but right now they're blaming God. Right now they think there's nothing. They're, they're, they're thinking it's all God's fault. I said, what will hurt them more? Learning truth or feeling bitter toward God? Now, I never know the end of the story. I, I, to this day, I don't know how that story ended. But too often in life, brothers and sisters, horrible things happen to us because we've been hanging out with the wrong people, people that you know that God's hand is against. Now, when you know that God's hand is against somebody, you know what? The best thing you can do is separate. This man died. This man died because he was hanging out with the wrong people. Needless death. Uncle Lester used to, I can remember some guys riding some motorcycles one day, and they were pastors. He knew that I liked motorcycles. I grew up riding motorcycles. And I, I said, you know, I'm thinking about getting a motorcycle. And Uncle Lester looked at me and said, God, don't let me die the death of a fool. <laughs> he turned and walked away. And as you can tell, I never forgot it. Brothers and sisters, don't die a fool's death. Verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes. <laughs> Let's get the makeup on. She painted her eyes and adorned her head. Let's look good. Sometimes people who want to look good because they're not good on the inside. She painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, who was on my side? Who? Well, two or three eunuchs. These are guys who have been castrated so that they could be around the, the, the harem. Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, throw her down. So they threw her down. I mean, so out of the window she came, lands on her head. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. And he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. So he wants to show a little respect. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Grave telega. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of a field of the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. That was a harsh prophecy. The dogs will eat her. What is left of her will come out in their feces into the fields of Israel. No one will be able to say, this is where she is. That's strong stuff. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Remember, this is the ten tribe area. So Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, fortified cities also, and weapons, select the best and fittest of your master's son and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. This was the right of the sons of the king. 
But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How can we stand? So he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and guardians, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all that you tell us. We will not make it anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter, saying, If you are on my side, and if you are ready to obey me, come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were the great men of the city who were bringing them up, were with the great men of the city. As soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in a basket and sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him they had brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Then in the morning he went out and he stood and said to all people, you are innocent. It is I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck down all these? Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Jezreel, all his great men, his close friends, his priests, and left none of them remaining. Now, remember I told you earlier that God's curse was against the entire house of Ahab. Now notice who is considered the house of Ahab. The great men, the close friends, the priests, all of these were considered part of his house. Now, when, when you see God's hand against somebody, you have to understand, even if you're not family, you're part of the house. You need to separate yourself. Then he set out and went to Samaria. On the way, when he was at Bethaked in the shepherds, of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahazi, king of Judah. And he said, who are you? And they said, we are the relatives of Ahazi, and we have come down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. Grave telegram. Evidently, they had not heard that Ahazi had been killed. Now, these relatives of the king of Judah are coming down for a visit. Remember, there's no cell phones in those days. There's no telegram. There's no telegraph. Uh, Ahazi has gone to Megiddo to die. These people from Jerusalem and from around the country, they don't know what's happened. He said, take them alive. And he took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Eked, 42 persons, and he spared none of them. Again, they were friends of wrong people. They went down and said, we're the friends of these people. Okay, by your own words, and they died. Folks, you got to learn. Remember how Brother John taught you the other night? You got to learn. Relationships bring a lot of problems. You have to have relationships with good people. And when he departed from there, he met Jehanadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to you? And Jehanadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand. And Jehu took him up with him into the chariot, and he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he wiped them all out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Now, brothers and sisters, when God spoke that prophecy, 
Yes, it was a warning to Ahab and his family. If they would have repented, God's hand would have lifted. But it was also a warning of mercy to all the people that hung around the family, this, this family that looked rich and powerful, to all the people who hung around that family. Now, the wheels of God's justice do grind very slow, but every word that God says comes to pass. Make friends with people that God's hand of blessing is upon. Amen. And we can have acquaintances out there, but our friends should be friends of people who, our friendships would be with people that God's hand is upon, the family of God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.